I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 38,000 missing person reports are made to Australian police every year. Three in five of these reports relate to a young person under the age of 18. Whilst most come home, there are still many families still waiting for their return. Those likely to go missing with a rate six times higher than the general population are youth, aged between the ages of 13 and 17. For further information on missing persons in Australia, please visit the National Missing Persons Coordination Facebook page. Today on Mysteriously Listed, we will discuss those missing children in Australia to help find those who are still missing. Number 6. Joaquin Oka Joaquin Oka was on the path to success. The 18-year-old was very smart. He was on an academic scholarship to his high school where he was in his senior year. His friends would later report the team was happy and positive and excited to see where his life would take him. On Saturday, April 18, 2020... Joaquin would leave the home he shared with his parents in the southern Victorian suburb of Pascoe Vale South. At 2.30pm, he walked to the nearby news agency to pick up a package, an unknown item he purchased on eBay. He came straight back home and spent the rest of the day there. His parents would later state this was not unusual, that Joaquin was somewhat of a homebody. Joaquin would contact a friend at 7pm and the two would have a lengthy conversation, about an hour and a half long. They talked about school and girls and their friends, everything and nothing. The friend would later report that there was nothing in the conversation that would lead him to believe that Joaquin was unhappy or he wanted to run away or he even planned to go out that night. After this phone call, Joaquin told his parents he was going to bed and he said his goodnights. However, he didn't. Activity on his mobile phone would show Joaquin order an Uber at 9.10pm. He would tell the driver to drop him off at the intersection of Belgrade Street and the Nesla Promenade in Greenvale, about a 20-minute drive from his home. CCTV footage from businesses at the promenade would show Joaquin get out of the Uber at 9.30 and walk east towards Greenvale Reserve. He had no personal belongings besides his mobile phone. Joaquin has never been seen since. Despite my extensive research, unfortunately there's no more information available than this. Joaquin Oka was 18 years old at the time of his disappearance. He is 187 centimetres tall, or 6 foot 1. He is of thin build with wide shoulders. He has curly brown hair and green eyes. 
Joaquin was last seen wearing a white windcheater, blue jeans and white runners. If Joaquin is still alive today, he would still be 18 years old. Number 5. Tanya Nichols 16-year-old Tanya Nichols and her mother Diane had been arguing for several weeks about Tanya's boyfriend. He was currently incarcerated at Parkley Jail in Sydney, New South Wales, and for that reason alone, Diane did not approve of their relationship. It was one last explosive argument in September 1998 that had Tanya packing her belongings to move in with her grandparents in Fairy Meadow, a suburb of Illawarra, which is about two hours south of Sydney. Tanya would not stay long there either, and within days she would inform her grandparents that she was moving to the Sydney eastern suburb of Bondi to live with someone else, a person that she never named and her grandparents did not know. This would be the last contact Tanya would have with her family. Sightings of Tanya in Sydney's King Cross area would have police question her known associates. But these people were drug dealers and sex workers. They were hesitant to speak to the police, halting the investigation before it even really started. The last known whereabouts of Tanya was at Parkley Jail in October 1998. Tanya signed the visitor's book to see her boyfriend under the alias Marie Ann Owen. Even though there is no evidence that she had been murdered or suicided, the coroner ruled in 2011 that, based on the balance of probability, it was determined in the coronial inquest that Tanya was no longer alive and she had died sometime in late October 1998. Tanya Nichols was 16 years old at the time of her disappearance. She had fair hair and brown eyes with two distinctive tattoos a dragon on her right shoulder, and a small insect on her right shoulder blade. She may now be going under the name Marie Ann Owen. If Tanya is still alive today, she would be 39 years old. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Number 4. Yvonne Waters and Raylene Eaton. Sunday, April 7th, 1974. Cousins and best friends, 17-year-old Yvonne Waters and 16-year-old Raylene Eaton, 
were spending the afternoon listening to bands play at the Oxford Hotel in Leederville, before moving to the White Sands Hotel by the beach in Scarborough in Western Australia. Their favourite band, Fatty Lumpkin, were playing, and the girls were enjoying socialising and dancing to the music. Other patrons at the hotel would later report seeing the girls talk to five men aged in their 20s and dressed scruffily. Yvonne and Raylene were overheard saying they wanted to show the men the sights or the lights of Perth, possibly referring to King's Park, which was about a 20-minute drive from the White Sands Hotel. The doorman would later report seeing Yvonne and Raylene leave the hotel with three of these men around 6.45pm. CCTV footage would have these girls get into the white panel van with Queensland plates, starting with the letters PXJ. Neither girl would ever be seen alive again. It is unlikely the men disposed of the girls at Kings Park. It was a popular park with not many places to hide a body. It's hard to believe that the bodies would have been hidden there for more than four decades without being discovered. However, there is a vast scrubland, Bold Park, between the White Sands Hotel and Kings Park that is an alternative along with the girls being dumped in the ocean. Only one person of interest has ever been named publicly, and that's serial killer Christopher Robin Worrell. A woman testified in court that Worrell's lover, James William Miller, had told her Worrell had, quote-unquote, done away with two women in Perth. Both men had been implicated in a series of murders of seven women in South Australia in the mid-1970s. These murders bear resemblance to the disappearances of Yvonne and Raylene. If Worrell was involved, we will never know. Worrell died in a car crash in 1977, and Miller died of cancer in prison in 2008. Yvonne and Raylene's families have accepted the girls are no longer alive, but have never given up hope of finding out what happened to them. In a recent interview, Raylene's 92-year-old mother said, quote, I would like to know why, when and where, but not the how. Unquote. Yvonne Waters had just turned 17 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was 158 centimetres tall, or 5 foot 1, slim build, with shoulder-length brown hair and blue eyes. If Yvonne is still alive today, she would be 64 years old. Raylene Eaton was 16 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was 150 centimetres tall or 4 foot 9, slim build with long black hair and hazel eyes. If Raylene is still alive today, she would be 63 years old. Number 3. Darren Shannon June 1973, Michelle Shannon and her newborn son Darren were living with her parents in Elizabeth South, South Australia, after the breakdown of Michelle's relationship with her estranged husband, John Shannon. Michelle and John would go to court over the custody of their son, with Michelle being awarded sole custody. This was due to John's history of mental illness. However, John was allowed visitation with Darren any time he wanted. 
Saturday, June 9, 1973. John would attend Michelle's parents' home not once but twice that day to see his 11-month-old son. This would strike Michelle as unusual at the time because John had never done this before, but she didn't think any more of it. At around 7.15pm, John was left alone with Darren on the couch in the family's living room. They would only be left alone for possibly five minutes. When Michelle's father returned, both John and Darren were gone. Michelle's father raced out of the house only to see John driving off. There was no way he was going to catch him by foot, so he jumped into his own car to follow the pair. Sadly, he was not able to find him after this. Michelle's father immediately contacted the authorities, and the police sent out a be on the lookout, or a bolo, for John's car. Unfortunately, a winter storm was raging at the time, which hampered the search from the start. Finally, almost two and a half hours later, John's car was located. It was involved in a head-on collision about 13 miles away from Michelle's parents' home. Police would find John still in the car. He had died from significant injuries sustained in the car accident. However, baby Darren was nowhere to be seen. A search of the area was conducted, but there was no trace of the baby. Police would later theorise that John had disposed of his son before the accident, but the how and the why is still not known, and it may never be known. But there are two theories discussed in True Crime and Unsolved Mysteries forums as to what may have happened. The first is that John had killed his son and disposed of the body. The shoes that John was wearing at the time he died were forensically examined and they were clean. Given there was a storm that day, this would suggest that John did not stray from the main walkway, making it near impossible for him to have buried Darren. If this is what happened, then logically John would have had to have disposed of his son, neither alive or dead, into a nearby creek or a stormwater drain beside the road. Given the rushing rainwater at the time, Darren's tiny body would have been swept away very quickly. If this is what actually happened, the car crash afterwards may not have been an accident. John may have deliberately drove into another car to kill himself, possibly in a murder-suicide scenario, over the guilt of killing his own son. The second theory is that John gave Darren away before the crash. If this is what happened, then it is possible that Darren is still alive and possibly being raised without knowing that he was stolen away from his mother. But given that John's car was found only 13 miles away and there was less than two and a half hours from him leaving with Darren and then the car accident occurring, this does give him a limited area of where he could have dropped the baby off at. John's parents and brother have since died, and they never showed any signs they knew that Darren was alive. The police even checked their wills to see if they left anything to a mystery person, and there was nothing. And although there is no evidence to suggest Darren is still alive, the police have not dismissed the theory, and they are actively still pursuing it. Darren Shannon was 11 months old at the time of his disappearance. He had light-coloured hair and blue eyes, However, this may have changed as he got older. 
If Darren is still alive today, he would be 48 years old. Number 2. Valerie Eastwell. August 15, 1937 was a day to celebrate. It was the end of the war, and in the small town of Golgol, New South Wales, it had cancelled school and work to commemorate the occasion. The Eastwell family missed the news and sent eight-year-old Valerie to school that morning. Valerie left as normal in her school uniform to make the trip, only to get to school to find it closed. Valerie crossed the creek to tell her older brother William, who was pruning vines, that he did not need to go to work that day. She passed a neighbour's who gave her a lettuce to take home to her parents. Not wanting to miss a moment of the impromptu day to play, Valerie hung the lettuce bag over the kitchen door before heading back to the same neighbour's property to play with the other children. But Valerie would not make the short distance back to her friend's home. Valerie's parents began to worry when she did not return for dinner that night and they contacted the police right away. This would start the biggest and longest missing person search in Australian history. Despite this, this story has not received the attention other long-term missing children cases have, like the Beaumont children. Air Force planes, search dogs and up to 120 volunteer searchers a day would unsuccessfully comb inch by inch creeks and dense scrubland looking for the young girl. Scrubland that was so dense that several volunteer searchers would go missing for almost a day at one point early in the search. Police would light rows of beacon fires in the hopes it would attract Valerie's attention and lead her to safety. Property owners were asked to search their land in case a little girl was hiding, but no one could find any trace of the missing girl. A bus of travellers would later report seeing a girl matching Valerie's description in the company of an elderly man on the outskirts of town, and then reports of a scream heard in the bush along Swan Road, 14 miles from Golgol, that same afternoon were all thoroughly investigated, but led to no clue to Valerie's whereabouts. The little girl seen with the elderly man was found, and she was questioned, but she was not Valerie Eastwell. Several theories have been discussed in this case. Did she drown in the nearby Murray River? Did she go off exploring that day instead of going to play with friends, and did she fall in the river and drown? More on to that, did she wander away, get lost, and die from exposure in an area so dense that searchers passed within feet of her? Given that others got lost in the search, it is very possible. Or was she abducted and killed? Or is she alive and living with another family? Unfortunately, the family were given false hope when decades later a man travelled from Swan Hill to tell them that their Valerie was still alive and living with another family in Melbourne. But his story was proven to be false, and Valerie's parents went to their grave not knowing what happened to their little girl. Valerie Eastwell was eight years old at the time of her disappearance. She was a hundred centimetres tall or three foot two. Slender build with dark auburn hair and brown eyes. 
she was last seen wearing a faded blue school uniform and black shoes. If Valerie is still alive today, she would be 84 years old. Number 1. Robert Mulholland Green November 17, 1967, in the mining town of Portland in country New South Wales. Nine-year-old Robert Mulholland Green was on a school trip to the Portland Olympic Pool. He complained to his friends that he was not looking forward to going home that afternoon. He was in trouble with his parents for misbehaving. Nevertheless, he bid his classmates goodbye and started the 100-metre walk to his home. Unfortunately, he would never arrive home on that day. Despite a huge search at the time, no trace of Robert has ever been found, apart from his school bag left on the front lawn of his family home. Search dogs would track his scent to the railway tracks in the nearby suburb of Mudgee. It is because of this, police believed it was possible, Robert went to play in one of the many abandoned mines in the area, a popular pastime for children at the time. This theory was supported when two locals reported to police they found what they believed to be small human bones while fossicking for scrap metal in the old Ivanhoe mine site in Piper's Flat. However, when they accompanied detectives to the site, they were unable to pinpoint exactly where they found the bones, and frustratingly, that trail stopped there. A week after Robert was last seen, a man reported to police being approached by a boy matching Robert's description in front of a store in Lithgow, 18 miles from Portland. This boy was begging for money for food. He looked unkempt and was wearing only one shoe. When the man pressed the child for his name, the boy ran off. Despite a large campaign to locate the boy at the time, He was never seen again, creating doubts in many that this was indeed the missing boy. In 2008, more than four decades since Robert disappeared, police would be back at the Mulholland home in Wilbur Street after a tip led them to dig up the family's backyard with a backhoe. Nothing of interest was found, and unfortunately, Robert's father would die soon after that at 94 years old never seeing his son again and never finding the answers as to what happened to him. Robert Mulholland Green was nine years old at the time of his disappearance. He was 107 centimetres tall, or three foot three, slender build with red hair and blue eyes. He was last seen wearing his school uniform of a shirt and shorts. If Robert is still alive today, he would be 63 years old. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. 
Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.